Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Hey, guys. It's been a while since we've been together. Maybe January. Is that right, Brooke? Is no, that long? we did. I think we did podcast in February, but it's been a slog trying to get you two to commit to this. So we're busy, Brooke. Busy not working. <laughs> busy on vacation. Last week, maybe. Weren't well, you out maybe, the week before? Maybe. Well, two weeks before. You know, let's talk about real things here, Brooke. Let's turn over a new leaf and start talking about real things. So obviously there's a lot going on. We have a war in Ukraine and it's worth just stepping back and saying that it's just heartbreaking to watch what's going on over there. I mean, it is just a tragedy on every level and our hearts go out to everyone dealing with it over there and anyone who might be affected. It's a horrible thing for our entire world. With all of that and the volatility that comes with conflict, a lot of people do say that volatility can be a positive for activity and volume in our business. So Jim, maybe you can give us some of your thoughts. Yeah. I don't have an answer for that question. I wish I did. It's basically uncertainty. The Russian war, like, is it going to continue for a while? How do you treat Russian ordinaries? How do you treat anything related to Russia? How do you OFAC lists? All the granular pain points that everybody who owns assets is looking at and trying to sift through now, there's no outcome that is expected. It's very, very unknown. And that has caused what looks like that plus the fact that the Fed meets this week and is going to raise rates and it's uncertain how much they're going to raise, 25 or 50. They indicated 25, but I think people are looking at the language and so they'll want to sift through that. All that has kept hedge funds on the side. Not to mention the fact that the markets globally are down in clumps almost every day. If you look at what's going on with the Hang Sang over the last couple of days, it's been dramatic, that drop. And the technology sector in the U.S. is down significantly on a whole in 2022. So all of that, I think, has hurt hedge funds. It's definitely stymied their appetite for risk. We see slightly higher average fees here in the U.S., but not on a whole lot of volumes. I think that's just GC trades getting collapsed for the most part and people just watching and waiting. Yes, volatility would be good for us, but if it's volatility combined with macro uncertainty, it, it leaves people kind of watching more than acting, which is where we're at. What about the energy sector and oil? Does that not give rise to some trading trades? activity? Yeah. Yeah, once the macro picture clears up, once you know where rates are going, and once you know what the ramifications of this war are going to mean for the globe, I think trades will come on and energy is, you're seeing that shift now that we saw last year from growth to value in terms of where people were moving It's now from one sector to the other. You know, EV is a good example. Electric vehicles is a big short sector. There's a lot of growth baked into all those companies' expectations, and there'll be winners and losers, and there's a ton of shorts in there. But as we see all the kind of dirty energy prices go higher, as supply is going to be constrained because of the war or the expectations of that, do things shift to EV? And does EV become more of a long play and less of a short play? Will that disrupt us? I don't know. I expect it will. And the run-up we've seen in energy names, the run-up we've seen in oil might lead people to think it's overpriced. And so, yeah, that trade could be a Q2, Q3 thing, Peter, but we're not certainly seeing the borrowing, which would indicate those trades are getting put on today. 
many of those energy companies might be easy to borrow so that primes could cover internally or cover with captive supply that they have today. So we might not be seeing that activity. I was off as well last week, but in the last two days and the end of last week, it sounds like most are sitting on their hands just waiting for the Fed to move short-term rates. So I feel like we've heard this from you a lot, not just recently, but maybe even last year and in the last couple of years where, yes, we need volatility is great. It's that additional layer of uncertainty that, that keeps people on the sidelines. Don't you still think that that layer of uncertainty is there for a while? I mean, I don't think we're not going to get it for instance, after the Fed meets this month, we're not going to probably get it for a good amount of time, right? I mean, do you see this as something that's solved in the near term? Or do you think that we have a ways to go before the market has any conviction and can sort of rely upon a more stable global macro events? My hope is that we have resolution to the war sooner rather than later, and that we have an indication to how inflation is going to behave and where rates are going to go, which is what everybody's watching. There was a pretty tame PPI number this morning. And so the market took that as a positive. So I don't know, Brooke, I mean, I could be talking my book and saying, I think it's coming sooner rather than later, but I'm thinking the next couple of quarters, we may just muddle along. I don't know. I don't think hedge funds get paid two and 20 to sit on their hands for an entire year. So I think they'll find. Yes. But I feel like you've said that multiple. I've like literally that quote you've said to us and they've sort of been on their hands for now. What feels like, you know, well, greater than a year or even a couple of years. Maybe last year was a pretty good year for most lenders. So, I mean, there was revenue generated, whether it was in M&A or IPOs, there are bright spots and they find. Okay. It's just, if we're talking specifically about long, short directional plays, yeah, that's been a troubled sector and shorts in general have been under siege for a number of years now. And so that hasn't changed, but something will come up. I think based on all the uncertainties, there will become some certainty and there'll be opportunities to play it from a long, short perspective. So it may not come immediately, but I would think come tomorrow at two o'clock and whenever the minutes get released, you'll understand kind of what the Fed's thinking whether they're going to do more aggressive early, later. And then from that, the market will then decide what they think of that. And then the hedge funds will put their positions on, I would think. So do you think all this slows down the M&A and the deal name opportunities as well? Yeah, that's a great question. It certainly has. It's the last couple of Mondays where you usually come into good news on the M&A front where names, you know, there's activity, it's less so now. So that would, well, you're pretty negative. Look at you, Brooke. You're pointing out the fact that long shorts and directionals are pretty soft. And now you're pointing out that M&A might be gone for a little while and IPOs are gone and that market shut for a while. Yeah. And okay. inflation yeah, is here I, to I, stay. I got, and- I'm Listen, I, I, I got an optimistic view. Cash spreads are getting better. Credit That's spreads it. are widening. That's true. So if yep. you're a lender of GC to capture cash spread, that could be a trade. But what's their preference right now on collateral? Is it cash? Is it non-cash? Yeah, it's non-cash. And to the extent they're not getting paid very well because yields have collapsed. Most lenders of stock and bonds can't pay those higher rebates. So they're eager to get some of that on. So anybody who is a cash lender and has a quick recovery as rates move up and they have a quick reset of their yield to the extent that they have the ability to pay a little bit more, I think there's opportunity there. And we'll look to capture that for our lenders who are in that risk profile. And when you say pay a little bit more, give us a sense for what you mean by like a standard desk GC rate versus what you would call kind of elevated GC and yep. what you think you need to do to kind of get those portfolios more utilized. 
We use generally a OBFR minus eight or nine for a desk rate. For most borrowers, we'll do a slightly enhanced GC at anywhere from OBFR minus two to minus five. And that's the environment we're in. If we were to pay north of OBFR, we could bring in balances for almost anybody who lends U.S. equities, corporate bonds, any developed kind of markets that trade versus dollar cash. We could raise the cash, but OBFR is going to get reset come Friday morning because of the day delay. So come Friday morning, we're going to either be roughly 25 higher or roughly 50 higher. So it changes a lot. We're sitting on our hands on purpose today because we don't know what the environment's going to look like on Friday. And so once Friday comes and goes and we take a look at yields next week and the opportunities to buy and spend cash, then we'll look at raising cash. And I think that opportunity would be there, Peter. It's just, we are seeing, this is, we're coming up on the first quarter end. And so we're already seeing window dressing from some borrowers in terms of flipping cash to non-cash to make their balance sheets look a little cleaner at quarter end. We usually don't see it kind of mid-March, but we are this time through. Do we have any concerns about clients that don't have a quick reset on the cash and OBFR goes up? Is there a potential for negative spreads for a short period? I think we ESEC are in a good position, but there's definitely potential for upside down loans. Right. If you look at your average cost of funds versus your yields, I think most lenders are probably in a decent position. This has been very well telegraphed in terms of upping the rates. So shame on you if you're not in a good position there. But there's always the reason to have some outlying loans that might be upside down versus an average yield. But if there's a need for funding, sometimes that's a positive for the fund to do it. If we went upside down someday and we needed to raise cash and that raising cash would bring you kind of more to a flat positive total spread environment, we would do it. I guess it depends on how you look at it. But yeah, it's certainly concerning if all you do is cash. It's nice to have the options cash, non-cash. That way you don't see balances run away from you in this scenario. And you know, in this case, if you play that out a little bit different, if we go through this jump and say they went just for our even sake, they went 100 basis points, unexpected, they went 100, we would have some funds and some loans upside down and we'd unwind that. And if that client only had the option of cash, we'd be unwinding their securities lending revenue as opposed to unwinding an unprofitable trade and putting on a profitable trade. Let me change tax a little bit. How has some of this turmoil in Russia and Ukraine affected the EM markets, specifically in Asia? where obviously you've got the Hong Kong situation happening, you've got the Taiwan concerns, any of that affecting what we're doing? The short answer is not really. Most of that is sold into exclusives for us. And so we're getting paid on AUM, which is coming down. So I guess that's impactful in and of itself, but it's a widespread region anyway. To me, it feels like there's less liquidity there, but that's just kind of looking at it from a high level. It's a great question. I have to talk to our overnight trader and see what he's seeing day-to-day in terms of flow, but it's very quiet in the two other regions. And so I'd assume based on the blotter I look at every day, it seems pretty quiet in Asia. So it hasn't had any big impact. I mean, I know there's concerns around Taiwan and China on the back of this Russia-Ukraine conflict. Could that mean something for that region? But spreads are already wide and utilization is already relatively high. I haven't seen much in terms of change in supply from that perspective. I'm not seeing widening spreads and higher utilization because supplies come off if that were the question. So it's still to play out though, I think, Peter. Okay. Sounds good. Any comments on auction, auction results, auction calendar, what we're kind of looking for as far as indications that what auctions can tell us about the future? Any kind of words of wisdom there? Yeah. You and I shared the same vacation week, which I generally try and mismatch my vacation week. So I have less Basler time. Yeah. Vacation <laughs> from Basler. <laughs> in this particular. Too many people it. can't do that at the same time or else we have a problem. Although it is uh, probably a high demand move. 
we have a pretty full auction calendar over the next couple of months fuller on the back end into Q2 than we are front end beginning of Q2. But in the next couple of podcasts, we'll have something a little bit better in terms of insight into expectations for the market. I wouldn't have much to say now. That doesn't often happen, but all right. No, no, you're welcome. (laughs) You and Brooke not having much to say is a rare instance. I've been relatively quiet on this one. So I don't think that's a fair comment, Peter. How do I get It's really less on the podcast and more on the word count of the emails. I would recommend a word count maximum on Brooke emails, if that were possible. I would second that motion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, anyway, so this year's flying by in a, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing at this point probably for the reasons why it feels like it's flying by, but so we're almost the end of Q1. What are you most looking forward to for the second quarter? whether it be market conditions, industry events, you know, just anything else going on. We've got Isla coming up, which I am hoping to make my way over to. We have our conference, which I'm looking forward to. And we have Mark Wilson's wedding in Turkey. At wow, the great. He most likely didn't want me to talk about, but I did anyway. You know what podcasts are about, being able to pull information you wouldn't otherwise get because it's conversational. So I hope to go to his wedding, which is at a yacht club in Turkey, which I'm very excited about. I didn't get an invite, by the way. Brooke, did you get one? They're both in the mail. I talked okay. to Pete. He wanted me you to read it. Mark actually told me that you were a uh, tier three. So <laughs> you didn't get okay. you didn't get that. That's okay. <laughs> Always come back to the tier three. Right. Only our most committed listeners will know what I was referencing there. But anyway. There's a lot of broker activity coming up to Boston. The trading group have been going down to New York a little bit more. So it's nice to get back into that normal routine. And I think gives us the opportunity to have a slightly better improved color that we didn't get through just doing Zooms and phone calls. So I'm looking forward to that. I plan on being down in New York at least once a month starting tomorrow. How about you? In-person engagement is what I'm excited about. You know, we've got a prospect trip coming up. We're going to be in Boston for board meetings, a bunch of conferences. So it feels like things are getting back to normal from that perspective. So I'm really looking forward to that. So just having Zoom calls, which definitely start to drag. I am as well. Good. All right. And I'm looking forward to, I originally was supposed to be in New York tomorrow with Basler, but Basler bowed out. And so now I upgraded and I'll be in New York tomorrow with Jim. So maybe we should have recorded tomorrow uh, from the road. Jim, I'm going to ask you another question related to that. So you're traveling to see borrowers tomorrow and you're going to see clients. What's the dress code these days, post-COVID? Oh, Jim and I talked about this already. Business environment. So what's the dress code? Yeah, this is a good question. So considering I look like Chris Farley, if I put a suit on, I think it's casual because suits are no longer fitting as nicely as they had. Definitely no ties, I think, is the protocol. Although I'm guessing there's ties in the UK. London always seems a little bit more formal than New York to me. Okay. I would think I would go Euro, which is suit, no tie. I like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we all missed each other. You can tell. Hopefully our listeners missed us and we'll be excited for a next episode coming soon. So hopefully we'll get one done in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully we have more clarity from the Fed after this week. Great insight as usual, Jim. Maybe we have a guest to this podcast. Maybe invite our uh, bond guy. I think we should. That's a great idea. As long as they don't dominate because this show obviously is all about us. Mike Brooks is a sharp guy, so I'd like to see him back here. I'm yep. sure our listeners would love to have some dilution a little here. All right, friends. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. 
This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.